All right, this is the Footy Feast podcast, and we're here with Jay Schulz from Port Adelaide. Um, so through his career, he played 71 games for Richmond and 123 for Port Adelaide and kicked a total of 194 goals. Welcome. Good, mate. How are you? Thank you. Yeah, going pretty It's lovely to have you on. Um, thanks for your time, first of all. Yeah, all right. Uh, Craig here, mate. How are you? Good, mate. How are you? Good. So um, you were obviously a really great kick for goal in your time. Um, you went at a 67% career average of goal, which is uh, pretty outstanding by modern standards. Um, and uh, you started up in academy. Tell us about that. Yeah, mate. I, um, I started a, a kicking academy off the back of uh, my first year out of footy. I was playing in the Ammos uh, in Melbourne with St. Kevin's. And- one of the dads there had a, a 17-year-old lad who he had been trying to make um, one of the TAC Cup teams and missed out the year before because of his kicking. So he asked me if I'd just do him a favour and have some, you know, a few a couple of hours kicking with him, So which <clears throat> I had no issue with doing. And, um, that's sort of where I started. And I, I did, uh, what did I do? I did, I did six. So I did six with him. So six one-hour sessions with him. At the end of that, the... Um, he went into training and he made the squad for the next year because his coach had told him he's kicking improved. So I took a pat on the back myself. Um, but it wasn't until I started doing that that I <clears throat> I realised, yeah, I was a good kick, but I realised that I could coach it as well. And I realised that throughout my career, clearly I thought way too much about kicking. But mm-hmm. um, it, uh, it all came out when I was – sort of coached this kid and I'd, <clears throat> I'd go home after each of the sessions I'd have with him and I'd, I'd have my own pad and write down things that I was teaching him, which I didn't even realise I'd thought about or knew inside my head and I just sort of took them for granted. And, <clears throat> um, yeah, that's where, it's all, that's where it's all started from and it's been going for, yeah, what are my six years I've tried now? So, yeah, I've been doing it for then. I've, I've probably had over maybe over 180 kicks, uh, kids, uh, between the ages of 8 and 18 and um, every one of them has improved. So I know I know what I do works and um, yeah it's nice it's nice to when you're good at something to then be able to coach it and pass it on I guess to other kids. Yeah, have you got um, any of the boys in the AFL now? Any of the young boys that have come through your academy? Or, or can you not say that? No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, nah, having said you know I I haven't been coached any of the boys that have that have um that are still playing since I'm retired. Mm-hmm. Obviously I did a bit of work with guys here and there while I was still playing and <clears throat> tried to help out where guys wanted help. But um but having said that I did get a phone call from Bokey this year um who was having the yips in front of goal earlier on the season and I mean Bokey's one of the most professional blacks I've ever seen and if he's not doing something to his standard he in his own right he'll he'll seek out whoever he things can help him in the best position to do it and <clears throat> I was his point of call so that was that was uh yeah that was good I had a couple of chats with him about a few bits and pieces made him realize and understand a couple of different things and yeah I think well, he went okay for the rest of the year so you must be pretty professional at uh, what 33 34 and still wanting um kicking help he must uh be wanting to go for a while, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Like I said, he's he's probably the most professional trainer I've ever seen. So, and most most dedicated, and hence the reason he's still going and still playing at such a high standard as well. So, it's great to. Yeah, that's awesome, man. He went to the right bloke to get some kicking advice. Uh, yep. 
So um, with the current AFL, what player can you see that absolutely nails it and like uses really good technique to kick goals? And then who's a player that you can see that needs a bit of improvement? Uh, I mean, kicking, goal kicking is an interesting one. Um, everyone tries to, everyone's been trying to figure out what guys are kicking around the corners and stuff, but some people are saying it's because of the flatter side of the ball and you've got more area to kick and all this other crap, which isn't real. It's not, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I did, I did some commentating this year down in Tassie as well for the games that were down there, and it, uh, it grinded me flat out. It grinded me flat out because I knew the reason they were doing it, and it's part of what I, I, I do and what I coach. So I don't only coach goal kicking; I coach kick, kicking in general because I was a pretty good field kick as well. So, but <clears throat> the basic principle with goal kicking. I'll get back to the answer, but there's a lot of guys that do it wrong and there's a lot of guys that do it right. The ones that do it right have, have got themselves into a space where they know their routine, they sort of automatically be on automatic pilot and it's what works and what's comfortable for them. They might know, they might not know why or they might not know how, but that's just how they've ended up. Like Tommy Lynch is a great kick for goal. Joey Danaher's a shit one. So it's, but it's the inconsistencies in what guys do. And the reason that the goal kicking is the one skill that hasn't improved in over 50 years of playing footy is <clears throat> because it's the difference between a closed skill and an open skill. Now, an open skill is everything that's on automatic. So you run, you pick up the ball, you handball to somewhere, and you kick on the run, you mark, you do all that. Everything is happening naturally and you don't need to think about it really. The closed skill is you're standing there, you have to think about something and then you have to deliver it. Same as a basketball free throw. Right? You stand there, you have to think about it, you deliver it. So... <clears throat> that's the reason is it's the only close skill in AFL, which is the only reason this was, which is the reason it's the only skill in AFL that has never improved. Now, what I do is I take the closed part and try and turn it into an open skill. So what the guys are doing at the moment by running around the corner is as soon as they run around the corner, they automatically play on, they create pressure on themselves from a defender running at them and it becomes an open skill. It becomes automatic. So they don't have to think about it because they can't handle standing there in a straight line thinking about it. And then trying to deliver it. That's why they do. How did you do it? I I stood and I ran, and that was part of the process. Because what happens in a closed skill? It's not so much the running running steps you have in a run up. Because once you're running, it becomes open and it is all natural. It is the standing part, the thinking, crap, the goals, the score, the rain, the sun, mum and dad, and girlfriend, the opposition, everything else that's going on in the game that's yeah. going through your head while you're standing there trying to not stress about kicking this goal. And then those walking steps as you're walking before you start running cause that much stress for guys that by the time they get to their run, they've stressed themselves that that much that that's where they go wrong. That's why there's the inconsistency in it. So just on that then, do you think Ben Brown, what he does is good or bad? Because is that too much time to move into the open skill? 25, 30 steps or something. Each to their own. And it's the one thing that I can do. I can teach kids how to figure out their run-ups and stuff like that and what they need to do and how what I call triggers that they need to have in their run-up. Um, but I can't teach him what's comfortable. Yep. Obviously, him taking 30 steps is comfortable. I mean, I get bored, but <laughs> most kids would. Most kids would. <laughs> Usually the max I've had with any kids is about eight. After that, they start singing songs and doing other other stuff when they're doing stuff. So, But it's, it's what, what works for him. And that's what I always say to kids. Like I always say to kids, oh, I was a great kid, but... I'm not. A, I was not a perfect kicker. I'm not here to teach you how to kick like me. Mm. I, what I coach is 
a bit more outside the box is I just I create I teach them drills and bits and pieces to help them be more stable and help them have more control and those sorts of things. But I don't actually change what they do. If all I do is try and make them more comfortable in their own actions already, because yeah. kicking is that bloody stressful. So I try and take the stress away, and that's what I do. That's how I coach. Makes a lot of sense. Mm, does right. does so you're obviously in the coaching mentor role now, but during your time in your career, who had the biggest impact on your AFL career? Um, there's probably been there's probably been a couple. Um, Matthew Nix is definitely one. Um, he was one of my favourite coaches. He uh, is a brilliant mind, but also a brilliant um, a person to interact with and uh, deliver feedback, whether it be good or bad, and those sorts of things, and to build that relationship with someone on, on a mutual respect. He's He's one of my one of my favourites, um, Choco, who obviously traded traded me in, but then got sacked halfway through my first season, so that wasn't <laughs> ideal. But <laughs> wasn't wasn't ideal for me. I didn't really know where I was going after that. But um, he he uh, it was it was in my first. So my goal kicking routine that I figured out took me three months in my first season at Port. So it wasn't the same as what mm-hmm. it was at Richmond. And I did a different two, a different routine every two weeks for three months, even if I hated it, just to figure out I, did, I really hated it. And that's how I ended up with mine. And Choco allowed me to do that as well, where I hadn't been given that option before. Um, so probably those two have been the biggest influence over my career. Like I've had a lot of bloody coaches, to be honest. Um, I played 14 years and I think I had nine coaches, which is a lot. Yeah. So... Um, and probably the other one, which who wasn't a coach for me, he ended up being coach at St Kilda, is Alan Richardson. But when he was at Port, and he was only at Port for one year, he was one that um, just was really was really level with everything, and always heard every opinion and every angle before making any decision or and or group decision or anything like that. And he was he was one of, one of my favourites as well. All right. Um, speaking of of. I guess uh, you spent the better part of your career at Port. Um, looking at your time in Richmond, you had seven years there and you only kicked um, 16 goals. was like the most you kicked in a season. And suddenly you went to Port and, and you were kicking 30s and ended up with a 66-goal season. What what moved you to Port, I guess, um, from Richmond? What wasn't working there? Uh, I moved to Port because Port were the only ones that would take me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a good move. That <laughs> was um that was <laughs> was a mutual decision out of Richmond to be honest. Um, so Hardwick came in and he was on the trade of me, but we had a conversation when he came in and he said, "Look, I had a change during my career. It might, might be the best thing for you." So it was it was a mutual yep. thing. I knew that I sort of knew twelve months out that Richmond had sort of had enough of my inconsistency, which is what it was. Mm-hmm. I'm probably the first to admit that I probably wasted the first three or four years of my career um, enjoying being a footy player but not being a footy player and I hadn't grown up enough. I was probably one of those guys that took a bit more time to mature as well. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm the first to first to admit that. And so and by the time it came, by the time I'd figured it out, which was you know, and how much that I wanted to play AFL, knew that I could, um, Richmond had sort of had enough. So I spent most of my last year playing in the res- res- reserves and and then when Port took me on, I sort of knew that was my last my last chance as well. So and I'd and I realised how much more I needed to train and, and all those sorts of things as well. So there's probably, you know, everyone says, you know, was it because the year I got there, you know. Yeah, Primus ended up and. Yeah, yeah, Primus ended up coach. 
But, you know, I had some things fall my way as well that first season at Port. Like a lot of people don't realise, I got dropped twice in my first season, in my first half season at Port. Um, and then Treaders broke his ankle. So, and then I kicked him in the change rooms to make sure it stayed broken. <laughs> 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 um, so he and that sort of and the week he broke his ankle I came back in because I'd been out the week before against the Kangaroos mm-hmm. and I kicked seven and that was sort of from there that's that's when my career started to be more consistent playing for Port so um, there was probably yeah it was probably multiple factors things partly me growing up a bit partly me realising I'm on my last legs and my last chance a bit of luck with you know with, with Treaders and you know and but having said that like I I played with Richo for seven years, and I played, and I got to, so I got to play with two of the best center forwards the game's ever seen. And I I learned more from Treaders in the first six months than I did seven years at Richmond with 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 Richo. That's yep. purely because purely because they're just two different people. Treaders yep. is a massive coach, educator type person that just wants to pass on everything, and Richo is just a, a phenomenal athlete that just want is white line fever and seaball ball, and that's. That they were just different people, so um, yeah, and I, yeah, like I, I wish I'd been taught some of the things that he taught that Treaders taught me when I was a kid, and yeah. I guess that's sort of where I get a kick out of doing what I do as well. I wish I'd people had taught me stuff that I teach kids now, and so yeah, that's that's yeah. pretty much how I see it. No, that's really great that you want to help out too. Um, yeah. so obviously. Obviously, there's injuries all through AFL, but did you ever play um, a game in your like through your career did you play with a player who was crippled by injuries to the point where they didn't get to reach their potential um geez um yeah we're hard hitting my, my, probably hey we're hard hey. hitting here at the footy feast <laughs> yeah i'll try to think my memory doesn't work as well as it used to boys um <laughs> uh, probably probably mark coglin richmond oh, tiger yeah. had three knee reconstructions probably the toughest player i've ever played with um and was a was a phenomenal player as well, phenomenal athlete, and just did knee after knee after knee. And he was probably the one that I could have easily seen if he had no injuries playing three other games and probably going quite close to winning Brownlow. To be honest, he was um, I remember him being a good fellow as well. Okay, I remember him being a gun definitely. Yeah, yeah. So he was he was probably, yeah he was probably probably the one that st- sticks in mind mostly. Uh, the poor fan base and the Richmond fan base. Which one was uh, more ruthless towards you? I guess. Well, did you? Were there much differences between them? Um. Yeah. There are absolutely. Richmond are a lot different now. <laughs> in terms of me, in terms of me, because I played a lot better when I was a poor than what I did at Richmond. So, um, when I played at Richmond, everyone used to just get frustrated with me because I had a had a heady history of kicking the first one or two goals of the game and then going missing for the next three quarters. So yep. that was my, my inconsistency as the way I played. Mind you, I played most of the time I was at Richmond, I'd play one season forward, one season back, one season forward, one season back um, yeah. the whole yeah. time I was there. Um, that never helped. It was, it was a frustration thing with, with Richmond mm. people. And yep. with poor people, it was more stupid the way you play. You could look after yourself a bit more. And my response was always – well, if I did that, you wouldn't like the way I played. <laughs> I never had to play one more. You were um, good for a hangout, definitely. <laughs> yeah, but I never learned how to land on my feet. That's why my back stuck <laughs> down. About two days of and <laughs> I was like a baby yeah, giraffe half the time. It's all over. So, um, yeah, they're, they're obviously different. Um, 
and uh, one was one was clearly more supportive than the other. Although having said that, after I went to Port, the amount of, and I finished off my career well, the amount of Richmond people that I talk to now and go, you should never left. You're a great player. I'm like, yeah, no, it's not what you thought at the time. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That sounds about yeah. right too. Yeah. So, um, what would you say is your career highlight? Oh, a lot of poor people won't like this, but my career highlight was uh, was the 2014 prelim final. I lost by four points. So mm-hmm. that, that was probably my favourite game to play, and even though we lost, um, it was just an incredible experience. It was very, it was very overwhelming um, after the game, and, and like, I mean that's. See that season in general, that 2014 season in general. Obviously, 2000, 2013, like first year I ever played finals, took me 11 years to, to get a player final. Um, it was extremely mm-hmm. special. And that first game against Collingwood, and I played pretty well that game. That was that was obviously a special moment as well. Um, <clears throat> but as a whole, probably the 2014 season, and then that 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 prelim final sort of to cap it off. It was it was a season that. Ooh, like we'd given our all as well. Like, yep. like I was completely, I was completely cooked. I wasn't training through, through the week. Um, I had, I had a busted foot. I was having nerve root injections into my foot so I could play and train for about eight weeks leading into the finals. And everyone was just spent. Like everyone was just absolutely cooked. And you, you realise, I mean, and it's probably taken me a little while to reflect on it, but you realise that you couldn't have done much more. And I guess you can't do much more than. You can't ask for much more as well. So that yeah, that was that was probably the highlight of my career that season. Yeah, well, that, that is also the year that you banged in most of your PBs of eight goals, two. You kicked seven, <laughs> one, and you also kicked six, zero. Oh. So that's also a testament to your goal kicking accuracy itself. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> I did have a good season in front of the sticks there. Yeah, but I mean that comes with with you know with winning as well and and players. Um, you know, I got on the end of a few that year, which was which was nice. Excellent. Uh, I remember you taking a, just a, speaking of your hangers, I mentioned early, took a big specky against Melbourne uh, in the goal square, which you've come out and said that you thought was over the line. Um, do you reckon that should have been mark of the year? Surely. You feel robbed. Considering it was a mark, yeah, I, I think I had to did Jamie earlier that year, but <clears throat> – what can you, you do? do no, that's a supporter. That's unfortunately that's a supporter based decision as well for Mark of the Year. So I think. Oh, uh, is that so? There's too think, many Collingwood people on that uh, one. I think he loaded up his fans that year <laughs> on his social media to try and get him to vote for him. So Craig probably um, voted for him. He's a Collingwood man. Hell <laughs> <laughs> in that. <laughs> no, no, it was uh, it was it was a good jump that one. I was lucky. I, I sat on Loby's head, Matty Loby and, and Mark Jamar's head that that game. So, but. Yeah, when I when I caught the ball, I thought it was in the third row, but it was. Um, <laughs> I'll take it. Was it was a good I'll one. Uh, yeah, I would take it to if I were you. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do we have anything else for him, boys? Um, I got one more question. So, throughout your whole career, who was your favourite player to actually play with? Play with. I mean, there's been some special players that I've played with, like guys seen I've seen do stuff that I used to get caught up at training. Standing at training and watching Robbie Gray and, and Chad Wingo go through training, then realizing, oh crap, I've got to do something here, I've got to leave the ball. Um, because they just do stuff which I never in my wildest dreams because I even think about doing these to turn on a dime, whereas I turned on train tracks. So um, it was, they were a couple of really special guys that I played with. Um, I mean, playing with Richo 
was just an, an amazing thing to watch. Like he was just such an athlete. Like he was over 100 kilos. He was he was the best big test runner at Richmond. He was one of the quickest. He was one of the strongest. And I, you know, I play, I spent a couple of preseasons when I was playing in the back line, doing all my preseason training on him and just figuring yeah. out how bloody hard it was and how hard he worked. And that was <clears throat> that was just super impressive. Um, I imagine sort of. Nick Rewald being pretty similar to that as well, both big motors, both just hard to control and control. So um, those three, um, Andy Cracker, when I was at Richmond, he did oh, some yeah. special that, yeah, he was he was sort of seeing that similar boat where you'd just stand there and just go, I don't know, and didn't even see your hand come out and you've walked out with a ball out of four guys. So um, they're probably, and then like I said, Cogs was probably the toughest guy that I ever played with. Um and do you still catch else? out with some of the boys? Yeah, I do, and and like I'm lucky enough. For, well, you know that I'm in Adelaide at the moment, but <clears throat> I think Thursday night, heap of our ex our, our ex boys are, are getting together for a dinner, which will which will be good because I haven't seen a few of them for a few years. So I'm looking yeah, forward nice. to that. We'll see how work goes Friday, but it'll be um <laughs> no, it'll be good to catch up. <laughs> it'll be good to catch up with them all. I, yeah, haven't seen a lot of them for a while. So like Tommy Logan and Brett Ebert and Brad and Bobby Carlisle and people yeah, like Don Cassisi and a heap of those boys are coming. So that'll be that'll be really good. I haven't seen some of those guys for you know five, six, seven years. So yeah, it'll be good. Yeah, that's awesome that you still all catch up and still have the camaraderie. Um, so huge thank you for coming on to the podcast. We really appreciate it. Um, do you have anything closing you want to share? No, not really, mate. Um, no, absolute pleasure to be on here. Um, and yeah, we'll uh, we'll see what happens next year. But I'm I'm still available if the if the boys want to give me a call and have a kick at some point. But we'll we'll see if any of them take it up. Hundred <laughs> percent. Uh, awesome. Thank you for that. Awesome. Thanks, Thank Jay. you so it's been much. A pleasure. Beautiful boys. Take care. Uh, see you later. Yeah. Cheers.